Turn your Bibles to Luke 22. And then also we look at the back of our hymnals. And that is um, page 936. Let's, as our practice is, let's put the Word of God first. We'll read together Luke 22, 1 through 23. Now the feast of unleavened bread, <coughs> which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat uh, it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, This is the cup which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of one betraying me is with me on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began discussing among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. We'll turn to the uh, back of the hymnals, uh, page 936. This is chapter 29. We're starting the chapter on the Lord's Supper. Section 1. Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, called the Lord's Supper, 
to be observed in his church unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. This sealing all benefits thereof unto true believers. Their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him and to be bound and uh, to be a, a bond, to be a bond and pledge of their uh, communion with him and with each other as members of his mysterious body. Let's, uh, his mystical body. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we do ask um, that you would help us to understand and to believe and to know the riches that you have given unto us in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Help us to grow in grace by this means and uh, to see the richness and the fullness and the goodness of your holy gospel demonstrated in this physical representation, you could say, in this physical illustrated sermon of the death, burial, uh, and wonderful work of Jesus Christ for us. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. So section one, we're starting this new chapter in the Westminster Confession of Faith regarding the uh, institution of the Lord's Supper. Again, section one says, Our Lord Jesus in the night wherein he was betrayed instituted the sacrament of his body and blood called the Lord's Supper to be observed in his church unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. Now, before we go and understand what this section is saying, especially for young people here, we, we need to know what is meant by the word institution or instituted. When we see that word instituted, it means founded, established, or inaugurated. In other words, this was not started by an apostle. This was not started by the early church. The practice of the Lord's Supper was instituted, originated, established, inaugurated by Jesus himself. Now, that inauguration or that beginning of the partaking of the Lord's Supper did not come without a prior foundation. It didn't, it, it didn't come from scratch, you could say. It didn't start from scratch. You could, it was founded upon the Passover. In today's text that we read from Luke 22, you notice that Jesus chose to institute the Lord's Supper during a Passover meal. So it was a Passover meal that basically was the Lord's Supper. He took a Passover meal and converted, you could say, converted that Passover meal into the first partaking of the Lord's Supper. Now, to understand the Lord's Supper again, let's look at the Passover. Keep your place in Luke 22. We may look back there again, but I do want us to look at Exodus 12 at the institution of the Passover. Exodus 12, starting in verse 1. We'll read to verse 13. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be 
the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he is to, he and his neighbor uh, nearby, nearest to his house, are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to each man, um, should, to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the, tor- the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh the same night, roasted with fire. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head, its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I am going, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Okay, so we have a lamb. It says it could be a lamb or a goat. I never noticed that before, but it could be a young goat. But it had to be without blemish. And it was, it was killed. Its blood was put over the, the, the doorway, on the top of the door and on the, the sides of the door. And when the angel of death passed by, he would not execute the firstborn in that household. Now, the Egyptians didn't have that blood to ward off the angel of death. And that angel of death killed all the firstborn of uh, those of Egypt. And there was a great grief, a great sorrow in Egypt when that was discovered. Now, Jesus took this as the basis of the Lord's Supper. Now, I've always wondered this. This is the part that I read before, and I wasn't quite sure. I I felt like a little inkling of, I don't feel very easy with verse 14. Look at verse 14. Now, this this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it, here's the key part, as a permanent ordinance. 
Uh, I'm times I ask myself, maybe you have asked yourself, well, shouldn't we celebrate the Passover? It says here, we are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Now, I know it's been a long time since you know the, the Jews did it, and then after the coming of Christ, but isn't permanent permanent, right? Are we in sin by not celebrating the Passover? Now, here's where we have to look at the New Testament for understanding and interpretation. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and there in your outline, says that Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. So when it says here that you are to practice a, this Passover as a perpetual ordinance, we are doing so because we don't look for a physical lamb that we have to go to the, um, the farmer's market and get and sacrifice. We have a lamb. We have a holy, blameless, perfect lamb without any blemish whatsoever that was sacrificed. Our Passover is Jesus. Now that Passover lamb that was used back then in the days of Moses, that was a lamb that was, you could say it was a type. It was a shadow that pointed to the ultimate lamb, namely Jesus Christ our Lord. It's, it's, it shouldn't surprise us that when we see John the Baptist first looking and setting his eyes upon Jesus, what did he say? What did he say? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. John 1, 36. So when Jesus here instituted the Lord's Supper, he commanded that it be done in the church. Do this in remembrance of me. Luke twenty two nineteen. Again, it was it was a it was something where the, the Passover then transitioned into becoming the Lord's Supper. With, not with a physical lamb and a, a bloody mess to deal with, but we had the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as our Passover. Key verse there again, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Now when the Westminster Confession of Faith says, the Lord's Supper is to be observed in his church unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance um, where do we find that in Holy Scripture, that we are to do it as a perpetual remembrance? It's actually not in one of the Gospel accounts, but it's given by Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. How long? Until he comes. It's to be done until Christ returns. That's where we get in the, in the confession of faith that it is a perpetual remembrance to be done until Christ returns. Um, I hope that you do find that when you study the confession that the confession is really backed up by lots of scripture. It's not just things that people made up. It's something that has been a, uh, originated by Holy Scripture. It's a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches. Now as we go on, as we just read, the Lord's Supper, it says, is to be a perpetual or a, a continual, ongoing remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. However, the Lord's Supper, according to the Westminster Confession of Faith, is more than just a remembrance. Section 1, 
continues to say that it involves the sealing all benefits thereof of what of his sacrifice unto true believers so let's look at some of these benefits given to true believers according to section one the first benefit it says that why we take the lord's supper beyond it just being a remembrance do this in remembrance of me it is a remembrance but it is to be for their spiritual nourishment and growth in him when you take the lord's supper it is to be for your spiritual nourishment and growth in and through Jesus Christ. If you take the Lord's Supper in a way that's pleasing to God, grace gives you spiritual nourishment and growth. Yes, we are to be fed by the Word. Jesus says, Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. We're fed by the word. But the Lord's Supper is something, you could say, it's, it's of course, it's a sacrament, but it's like a sermon with a physical illustration. The bread representing the body of Christ, the blood representing, I mean, the, um, the grape juice or the wine representing the blood of Christ being poured out for us. It's, it's like a physical, illustrated sermon, you could say, that wherein we get nu- nutrition, uh, just as we do with the preaching of the Word of God. It has been the case here by me and likely by other many, many OPC ministers that when we talk about 1 Corinthians 11, we always give the warning What's the warning in 1 Corinthians, 11, 1 Corinthians 11? That you can do spiritual and physical damage to yourself if you take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That's clearly what 1 Corinthians 11 is teaching. That's why we're, there's a warning not to partake in an unworthy manner. But there's a beautiful opposite that is true. A beautiful opposite that is true. If you partake in a worthy manner, God promises to give you spiritual nourishment and growth in grace through Jesus Christ. That's a logical conclusion. And that's exactly what our uh, confession teaches. So yes, there's a warning. Don't partake in an unworthy manner. If you partake in an unworthy manner, you could do terrible harm, spiritual and physical to yourself. But if you do partake in a worthy manner, God will bless you and nourish you and build you up in your holy faith by partaking of that sacrament in a way that's pleasing to him. Now, the sacrament goes on to say um, that um, the, the confession goes on to say concerning the sacrament that the sacrament is for their further encouragement in and to all duties which they owe unto him and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. Again, that's from section one. Now, what's the, again, this is very reminiscent of the, the original meaning of the word sacrament. The word sacrament is actually um, an ecclesiastical term that came from a Latin term used by the Roman military. called It was sacramentum. Um, if you were a soldier in Rome and you were going to become uh, 
a member of the, uh, I guess maybe a little, of the Legion of Rome, you had to take the sacramentum. And what that was, was it was called an oath of allegiance. A sacramentum was an oath of allegiance. You took this oath that you were going to protect Rome with your life. You were going to be obedient to the, your superiors. You were going to be obedient to the emperor. And that, that was your calling in life. And you, you took that oath um, in such a way where I did read one place where if you failed to keep that oath, you were given over to the, the gods, plural, to be basically cursed by not keeping that oath. Now, the, the church took that term and took that oath of allegiance and said, well, there's an oath of allegiance involved in the sacraments. And that's, so the language here in the confession has a lot to do with an oath of allegiance. Let's uh, look a little bit closer at that. It's our further engagement in and to all duties which they, you could say Christians, owe unto him. So if you're a soldier, you owe uh, to serve certain duties unto those of your superiors. If you are a soldier, you have a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. It's a pledge of loyalty to Christ. It's a pledge of loyalty to Christ. But notice it's also a pledge of loyalty to one another. We're not in the church taking a pledge of loyalty to, to Christ alone as individuals totally separated from one another because we are one body. And I want to read a little bit of this, uh, this hymn, uh, We Are God's People. Um, this is uh, stan- the second stanza. We are God's loved ones, the bride of Christ our Lord. For we have known it, the love of God outpoured. Now let us learn how to return the gift of love once given. Oh, let us share each joy and care and live with a zeal that pleases heaven. We are the body of which the Lord is head, called to obey him, now risen from the dead. He wills us be a family, diverse yet truly one. Oh, let us give gifts to God, and so shall his work on earth be done. We are a temple, the Spirit's dwelling place, formed in great weakness, a cup to hold God's grace. We die alone, for on its own each member loses fire, yet joined in one, the flame burns on to give warmth and light and to inspire. Beautiful hymn concerning the unity of the church and how we really need each other. So the field of, or you could say this oath of allegiance is not just to, to God, it's to each other as one body. Now again, look here. Um, we could say the word bond. Think of a covenant bond. There's a covenant bond 
we have to Christ and to one another. Now, why do we have duties which we owe unto him, owe unto Christ in the first place? Theologically speaking, why do we owe Christ something? Well, we know that Christ did something for us, so we, we ought to obey him. But it's more than that. Now, in our modern era, there's a detest for slavery. But according to Scripture, in this particular passage, which I'm going to read, we ought to love the notion of slavery because it involves slavery to Jesus Christ. Look here at 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and that you are not your own? Why are you not your own? Why don't you belong to yourself? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. How have you been bought with a price? If you're a Christian, you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. You are not only a slave of God, but if you are a Christian, you're a slave of righteousness. Would you rather be a slave of sin? I'd rather be a slave of Christ and a slave of righteousness than a slave of sin. But again, that's the thing. We owe something unto God because we've been bought with a price. We've been bought by the the perfect, flawless blood of Jesus. Therefore, we are obliged to live not for ourselves, but for, for him who purchased us with his blood. Slavery to, to the master Jesus Christ is not a woeful thing. It is a beautiful, delightful thing to have Jesus as our Lord and master. Let's pray together. We ask, dear Lord, that you would help us to remember these wonderful blessings that you've given us. That Jesus has died for us. That as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we do uh, take of the, the body and blood in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us as we take of the elements to, to remember what they represent and to exalt the Savior that they represent But also we pray that as we take in a worthy manner, we pray that we would remember that you use this sacrament to build us up, to build us up in our growth and holiness. And we pray that you would help us and nourish us by means of the Holy Supper. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to remember as well that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful in giving our allegiance in renewing each time we partake of the Lord's Supper, in renewing our allegiance unto the blessed Lord Jesus Christ, whom you have given unto us. Help us in all these things and help us to to do so believing that we would grow in grace. We ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Uh, For our closing hymn, let's turn to 201, 201. Twas on that night when doomed to know. We'll stand and sing 201.